7% of the United States population has diabetes, and the numbers seem to grow daily. How can we talk to patients about stopping this epidemic? Welcome to our special series, Focus on Diabetes. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is certified diabetes educator, Jeannie Diaz. Ms. Diaz is also certified in childhood and adolescent weight loss management through the American Dietetics Association, and she is a certified personal trainer. She works at the Humphreys Diabetes Center in Boise, Idaho, which began in 1987 as a two-person department and has grown to a freestanding, not-for-profit regional diabetes center with a staff of 25, two full-time permanent sites, and two part-time sites. Over 500 local physicians refer patients to the center, resulting in the education of more than 3,000 patients annually. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here. Jeannie, how did you get involved in diabetes education? Well, kind of a two-pronged way I got into it was that it was just part of my responsibility of being a outpatient dietitian years ago at St. Luke's Regional Medical Center. And then I have diabetes in my family. My husband of 22 years has type 1 diabetes for 24 years, and then my grandmother and my mother have recently developed type 2 diabetes, so I have an interest from it from a personal standpoint as well. So you're highly motivated. Yes. Now, what do you tell patients how to prevent diabetes? How do you get that message across? Well, to prevent diabetes, you need to try to impress upon the patient that they need to really look at their daily habits as far as how are they eating, the way that we are bombarded today in this country with huge portion sizes and the amount of food to eat. It's really difficult for people to know what is a appropriate amount to eat. So really get them focused on what are you eating in terms of portion sizes and then say, this is what is a reasonable portion and these are the healthy foods that you should be eating. And try to get them to focus more on limiting the high fat stuff like fast foods and processed foods and getting back more to whole foods, whole grains, fresh fruits and vegetables. So really get them thinking about a healthy eating approach. And then the other very important thing is just getting their body moving. Since the turn of the century in the 1900s, our activity level has just continued to decrease because of our technology and just not needing to be physically active in what we do for a living anymore. So many of us do not get the amount of exercise that we should. So just trying to get them up and off the couch and moving on a daily basis, whether it be by walking or some other kind of exercise. And those two things together should hopefully bring about some weight loss if that's an issue that's putting them at risk for diabetes. To be a little contrary here, I mean, I think most of us know diet and exercise, that that's the key. But, you know, whenever I ask my patients to make those kind of changes, it's not so easy to make these huge lifestyle changes for people. No, it isn't. And I think a lot of times when people are being talked to about that, particularly maybe when they see their physician and they list this laundry list of things that they need to do in order to prevent diabetes, it is very overwhelming. So when we sit down and talk to people, we try to get them to pick one or two things that they think they can start out with and be successful with, especially with exercise. And we're talking about people in our population that we work with that are obese, anywhere from you know, 250 pounds to 400 pounds is very common. So exercise for these people is not going to be pleasant most of the time when they start. So we've had people that have started just with very simple things like 
walking out to get the mail every day and back into the house and then to the end of the block and back. And so breaking things down into smaller, more obtainable goals and then just keep resetting those goals as they're achieved. And I think probably making changes in eating habits may be one of the most difficult things for people to do because they're so personal. And we eat the way we do because we like to eat that way. Mm -hmm. And so there again, just saying, well, you know, you really like to eat fast food and you eat fast food four or five times a week. Could you reduce that to twice a week? And even that change would help immensely. So breaking it down into smaller, more manageable ideas, I think, is sometimes more helpful for people than listing out everything they have to do at once. And how do you address the portion size issue? That always seems to be so hard. I know for myself, if I read that, oh, it's six ounces. I mean, that that has absolutely no meaning to me. I couldn't tell you what six ounces was if my life depended on it. How do you make it real for people? Well, that's a very good question because people continuously break into laughter when we start pulling out the food models that show them exactly what a serving size is. But we try to compare it to everyday items that they can relate to. So, for example, a standard usually for a store-bought piece of bread is a one-ounce slice, which is about the size of a compact disc holder, or the size of a potato would be about the size of a computer mouse, which is about six ounces. And a half a cup would be roughly a tennis ball size. Or if you make a fist, the back of your fist is generally about what a cup looks like. Three ounces is the palm of your hand. Or a deck of cards, that's about a three-ounce portion of meat. So we try to show them visually with food models so they can really see, and they're very always struck by, oh, my gosh, I eat you know three or four times that much, and then try to relate it to something that they see every day so that if they're away from home, they don't have to have measuring cups or utensils they can visualize in their mind, oh, yeah, it should be about the size of my fist or, you know, what a computer mouse looks like. Wasn't there even a diet a while back about the deck of cards that you should never eat anything bigger than a deck of cards? <laughs> there probably was. There's been a diet. <laughs> but that would be, I guess, a pretty good rule of thumb because three-ounce portion of most foods is just a little less than a half a cup. And for most food, like, you know, mashed potatoes and pasta and rice and things like that, that is what's equivalent to one serving or one portion is a half a cup. And, of course, if you measure out a half a cup of rice or pasta and put that on your plate and then think about the last time that you went to the macaroni grill, you'll realize that there was probably eight times as much pasta on the plate. (laughs) There would be the problem. (laughs) If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Jeannie Diaz. We are discussing how to talk to your patients about diabetes prevention. Okay, so never eat anything bigger than a deck of cards. I can remember that. Any other tips really on how to motivate our patients? Again, I think that's my biggest problem. Motivation is very, very difficult, and I think if you can get them to see progress of any kind is very important. So if you can relate it to them feeling better or, you know, we never like to relate it really to fear, saying if you don't do this, you're going to get diabetes and then you might lose your feet or you might go blind because that's usually not a very effective way of motivating people. But a lot of times, like particularly a patient that I just had today, she has a parent with diabetes. Um, She was told by her doctor that she was headed for prediabetes and she said, Every time I look down at my toes, I say, gee, I want to keep those toes. So that's her motivating factor to keep going. So if we can get them to focus on something that 
makes them feel better. Like if they start exercising and they do feel like, oh, yeah, I do have more energy, and it does help them lose a pound or two, that generally gets them more motivated to continue when they see that success. And if they're eating healthier and feeling better, that too just adds to that motivation factor and that additional success. Yeah, I had a patient this morning who managed to lose actually quite a bit of weight, probably 30 or 40 pounds. And one of the things we did was just make a list of all the things that are better. She certainly knew that her blood sugars were better, but her asthma's better and her arthritis in her knees is better and her exercise tolerance is better. And we just went on and, you know, things she hadn't even thought of. So hopefully that'll keep her motivated. I think that's an excellent way of showing people how far they've come, because a lot of times, you know, we pick out, and I'm sure you know this from your practice, is that all we focus on is the negative, the one maybe negative thing that we didn't do because maybe last night we ate that piece of cake and, oh, gosh, we shouldn't have done that, but we have forgotten all the positive changes that we have made that have affected blood pressure, blood sugar, blood cholesterol, overall weight, all those things that you mentioned. And so just to keep them focused on the positive, I think um, we're cheerleaders. If mm-hmm, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. very simply, I think when it comes down to it, just really helping them to see the improvements that they're making and give them a lot of positive reinforcement. Now, many of our listeners are primary care physicians. What do they need to be telling their patients about diabetes prevention, you know, in such a limited time? Well, I think the very positive message is, is that when people are diagnosed with prediabetes, which means that their blood sugars are elevated over normal, but they don't qualify as reaching diabetes levels yet, is that, you know, studies show that there's a 58% chance that they can prevent diabetes by losing a modest amount of weight. And I think when you tell patients that in that study, it was only 5 to 7% of current body weight, which if you're 200 pounds, you're looking at, you know, 5 to 10 pounds, that's so much more manageable than if you tell them, well, your ideal body weight is this, so you need to lose 60 pounds. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So give them some very tangible, realistic goals that they might shoot for. So if they lose 5 to 10% of their body weight, if they just start being more active and trying to eat healthier. And, you know, so many patients come in and say, well, my doctor told me don't eat anything white. I think they're trying to get across the idea of nothing refined. Or they'll say, my doctor said, if it tastes good, spit it out. Well, nobody wants to live the rest if of their life. If it tastes life. good, spit it out? Yeah. So <laughs> no one wants to live the rest of their life eating like that. So I, I think just physicians trying to convey the message of whole foods, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, lean meats, low-fat dairy products. So the closest that it came from the original product, the less processed you know, increasing the amount of fiber in the diet if they can. And that does not mean that they can't eat anything white or it doesn't mean that if it tastes good, they have to not eat it. (laughs) So I think just trying to, I know that they have a very huge responsibility in trying to convey to their patients that diabetes is a serious disease and they need to do something about it to prevent it. But just trying to frame it in terms that won't overwhelm the patient or make them think that it's the worst diagnosis that they could ever have because we know that with proper care that people can live very long, healthy lives with diabetes. So it's not like the death sentence that people used to think that it was. So you're saying scare tactics are probably not the best idea. 
Probably not, no. (laughs) I really like to talk to patients about two brothers that are in their 90s, and they've lived 80 years apiece with type 1 diabetes, Mm. and they developed diabetes right before the discovery of insulin. So they've been living with diabetes since the 20s, and so before we had blood glucose monitors or Mm. any of the advanced insulin medications that we have now, so just with good proper nutrition, exercise, and taking their insulin, they've been able to live 80 years. So anyone can manage their diabetes well if they are motivated to do so and they get the education they need. And I think that's what's really key that the primary care physicians need to realize is that they're just not set up to do the education because the time is not permitted for them. So to refer them to get education so that their patients can get knowledgeable on how to manage diabetes so that they can not have to live with those negative consequences. I'd like to thank our guest today, Certified Diabetes Educator Jeannie Diaz. We have been discussing diabetes prevention. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to our special series, Focus on Diabetes, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.